You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time to meet the Muppets, so let's turn on the mic for Muppet Show beginners and experts alike. Come on and join the party that's only just begun. Let's smile for a while, it's time to have some fun. We're taking in a show tonight, play the music, light the lights, raise the curtain up, and then it's time to meet the Muppets all over again. So take a break and take a load off. Let's all take a ride in a Muppet-tastic time machine with Fergie as your guide. So no more hesitation. Let's start the episode. We're moving right along. Let's get this show out on the road. the show on the road. Hello, hello, hello. Yo, and welcome to another episode of It's Time to Meet the Muppets. I am your host, Fergie L. Philippe, and here is where you get to hear me recap The Muppet Show, talk about some of my favorite moments, spout out some fun facts, maybe even share a history lesson or two. Today, we are going to be talking about a truly legendary episode with a truly legendary guest star, Miss Rita Moreno, of course. Well, maybe not, of course, not everybody knows. I have to, I'm, I'm really bad at that, guys. Like, I'm really just assuming that everyone knows who everybody is. I don't know where you come from. I don't know anything about you. Anyway, um, all that to say, Rita Moreno, film, television, and theater actress, singer, and dancer, known especially for her role in the West Side Story film as Anita. This is a pretty special episode because... This episode was the first episode that was broadcast in many, many U.S. cities, actually. Um, And also, funny little story, when I recorded the first episode of Juliet Prowse, I was going off of the order of the first season DVD. I wanted to jumpstart and get ahead before Muppet Show dropped on Disney+, and little did I know that the order that's on Disney+, Plus would not be the order that the DVD... Uh, lists the episode so haha on me um, so if it throws you off a little bit understandably so it's really okay obviously there's nothing spoiled there's no linear plot line throughout the entirety of the Muppet show that's going to ruin this but um, uh, sorry for the little uh, kind of a jump around but uh, here we are we're back on track Rita Moreno um, before we jump into Rita Moreno I wanted to do another brief Muppet history lesson This time, we're going to be talking about how Jim Henson and Frank Oz met. So Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets, performer of Kermit the Frog, Rolf the Dog, Ernie, Dr. Teeth, Link Hog, Throb, and so many more. And then, of course, Frank Oz, like I mentioned last time, performer of Fozzie Bear, Piggy, Bert, uh, Sam the Eagle, Animal, Grover, so many. Um, They were a very tight and consistent duo when it came to a lot of their characters kind of performing um with each other um they have a lot of famous duos together that include Bert and Ernie and Miss Piggy and Kermit uh Fozzie and Kermit um there were a lot of bits between Rolf and Sam the Eagle or Rolf and Fozzie um they also uh which is something we'll get into later they also both performed the Swedish Chef together um and when Frank Oz was first hired um, I'm getting ahead of my, look at me. I'm already getting ahead of myself. So, 
Uh, Jim Henson was born in Greenville, Mississippi. I was wrong about that. I uh, Last time, I thought it was Missouri. It was not Missouri. It's Mississippi. Please forgive me. Um, when he was about 10, he moved to a little suburb in Maryland, which was just off of Washington, D.C., very close to it. Um, it's actually con- the suburb. is It's considered a suburb of Washington, D.C., um, but he started doing crafts when he was very young with his grandmother, Deer, who he had a very close relationship with. Um, and he actually got onto the television puppetry scene real early with this character named Pierre the French Rat. Um, he did it on a local Washington, D.C. show called The Junior Morning Show. Um, the show only lasted about three weeks. But then um, Jim was uh, asked to do another show called Afternoon on that same channel. Um, when Jim got into college, he met Jane, and then this kind of links up back to the first episode where I was saying they asked him to put together his own show, and that's where Sam and Friends came from. Um, with the success of Sam and Friends, he created his production company, which was called Henson Associates, ha, with the exclamation point, and he was frequenting the Puppeteers of America where he met Frank Oz. I tried to find this, but I couldn't uh, uh, confirm it. I do believe that Jim met Frank through Frank's father, Mike Osnowis. Um, Frank is the son of Mike and Francis Osnowis. Um, he was born in London. He came over to the States, and Mike and Francis had their own marionette troupe, which Frank was a part of uh, starting when he was about 12. And Frank, you know, for those who are big Muppet fans, people famously know that Frank obviously appreciates and adores puppets because it's in his familial blood and obviously his work with the Muppets. But it was never something he necessarily anticipated doing as a career or or, or something that he anticipated doing uh, the rest of his life. He, He just kind of found it as a means of expression. But. You know, Jim met Frank when Frank was about 17, and he was very impressed with Frank's talent and actually wanted to hire him there. Um, but but Frank, I believed, kind of turned him down. And, and when he was 19, um, that's when Jim and him ended up working uh, working together. So Frank, you know, went out to New York, um, and they started performing together, uh, obviously doing commercials and such. But, but more consistently, Frank and Jim would perform Rolf together on The Jimmy Dean Show. Um, and there's actually a funny story about that. The, uh, part of the reason that we call him Frank Oz is because the guy who was announcing his name whenever they were finished with the show and they were trying to announce the performers of Rolf, he would always go, Frank Oz, because he did not know how to pronounce Osnowitz. And so that's when Frank decided to just start uh, start going by Frank Oz. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's a little tiny brief history on how Jim and Frank met. Um, also, I have one more correction that I want to make. Last time I said Jim filmed two pilots for what would be The Muppet Show. He did film two pilots. However, they were both for ABC. I said NBC in there somewhere, and NBC was not uh, involved. There was a pitch reel done for CBS, and uh, the two episodes that were shot, or the two pilots that were shot, were both for ABC. So, let's uh, just go ahead and jump right in um things about the you know the the theme song kind of stay the same for me uh off the bat Fozzie's joke which I foolishly did not write down on my notes Fozzie's joke is genuinely funny in the bit and I don't know if that messes with his character development (laughs) of course this is obviously in the beginning of the show so they're still working with character development and all that stuff but I remember saying in the moment like this is a genuinely funny joke does that does that take away from who Fozzie is? 
I don't know. You guys tell me. Um, we later on see uh, that, that kind of glimpse I was telling you about, like right after Kermit says, you know, uh, to introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. We, we, we get a glimpse into Rita um, and she's actually hanging with Animal, which is such a, a good uh, foreshadow for what happens later in the show. But but Rita and Animal, I think, are a comedy match made in heaven. It's just the funniest thing ever. You know, Rita really made a, a career um, off of kind of this really funny, uh, really like aggressive and, and, and kind of headstrong kind of woman. And I think that the clash with Animal's truly like ridiculous and obviously animalistic behavior is just some of the funniest uh combinations um ever it's 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 really great so we get through the theme song um there's a great kind of uh there's a great kind of back and forth between kermit and fozzy kermit tries a joke that fozzy wrote for him and, and fozzy comes out and goes i gave him that joke and kermit says i wish i gave it right back and i think those kind of one-liners really uh th- that really is such a muppet style tone and it's not like you know it's not it's not directly only for the muppets but i do think that 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 really defines a lot of the kind of muppet humor um and and that was a moment that i i really chuckled to myself and and most interactions between kermit and fozzy especially on stage are usually kermit being annoyed and and as i've said before and i've and i'll probably say a million times more kermit being annoyed i think is one of the funniest things ever um and so this kind of leans right into that idea uh, so we get into the opening number, uh, you know, Rita Moreno does, uh, this song, uh, called I Get Ideas. This is a really great kind of dance piece, dance mime movement, whatever you want to call it, dance piece. It's a dance piece. Um, it's a great dance piece about Rita Moreno's character, who is this very <laughs> hot-tempered woman who picks a fight with her boyfriend, who is this kind of full-bodied Muppet. Um, but they call them humanoids. They're they're called full-bodied humanoids. She catches him flirting with Miss Piggy, and so you know they get into a, a big fight. But it's obvious it's done through a tango, um, and it's really smart. It's really funny. Um, the big giant humanoid puppet is actually uh, performed and danced by puppeteer John Lovelady. John Lovelady. Um, was a puppeteer who only worked on the first season of The Muppet Show. Um, I actually don't know the full story behind that, so I'll get that for you guys, and I'll, I'll bring it next. I'll bring a next episode. Um, he he performs this puppet, and what really struck me is that I had to go back and, and look this up. But you know, he also dances in the piece, and he's a really wonderful dancer. And then I I come to find out that he, he I came to find out that he was a trained dancer um which was part of the reason that he ended up uh being in uh the puppet um he also built the puppet himself um obviously incredibly talented man um i think he went on to perform in the great space coaster uh and do a couple of other projects um he so this piece you know goes on goes on goes on and and what's funny about this is that they uh purposely cut between john lovelady being inside the actual humanoid and then a lifeless dummy of the puppet um so that rita could truly just like throw it around and bust it against the wall throw it under some table run it through the bar and it it's truly one of the most ridiculous things ever but it's so funny 
and and that's that's our opening number that's how the show starts off starts off with a true bang <laughs> um it's it's clear that in this episode richard hunt performed piggy i was saying the last time that you know back and forth there was a bit of uh you know uh switching off between frank oz and richard hunt in terms of who's playing miss piggy um so yeah so this episode's definitely richard hunt um okay great so that takes care of the the first number uh we then go into kind of the backstage storyline um which you know i did a little bit more research into how the structure of the show works and you know there's a through line always the 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 through line of every episode is the backstage life um and then as the seasons go on and they definitely do it in the beginning but but as i'm personally going through the fourth season right now because the fourth season and the fifth season are the two seasons i've seen the least of so i'm going through those like on my own time uh on disney plus um they incorporate so much more of the numbers that happen on stage and and you know incorporate a lot of different elements of drama by bringing it onto the stage and bringing it off um in 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 later seasons but the but the first season there's obviously always kind of a a linear plot going through and this time (laughs) there's this really great running gag which is actually my favorite running gag they've ever done um and it's uh the phone rings Fozzie answers it and he goes muppet show theater and (laughs) water just starts spouting out and then kermit comes in and goes who was it and Fozzie goes the water department uh, and, and the best part is this gag continues on the rest of the show. There's another time when Fozzie answers it and an explosion comes out and it's the fire de- or smoke. It's smoke. It's not explosion yet. It's smoke. And he goes, it's the fire department. Then he, the, the phone calls again and a bunch of tokens and coins fall out. It's Las Vegas. And then an explosion happens. And this is like the set in stone one. Um, <laughs> Fozzie goes, it was the atomic energy commission. And then at the end, uh, when Fozzie goes to pick it up, Fozzie, by the way, thinks this is hilarious. Fozzie thinks this is the funniest joke ever. Fozzie lives for the bit, obviously. Um, And so the last time the phone rings, you know, Fozzie's like, I'll get it. I'll get it. And Kermit's like, nope, 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 nope. Don't answer the phone. And Fozzie's like, please, please. So many funny things keep happening. And Kermit's like, well, that's exactly why I don't want you to get it. Um, Animal comes in and rips the phone off of the wall. (laughs) and terrifies the both of them um and i think that this it's a really funny way how animal i think over the years we kind of soften animal and and we get like such a warm uh spot in our hearts for him because he becomes more of like a pet but in these first few episodes of when he's first introduced he's truly like he's a wild animal there's no other way to put it he is like a a like a Tasmanian devil almost there there is just something so scary about him and nobody quite knows what he is nobody quite knows what's happening um and and again you know Frank Oz just has the best description of his own characters and he said animal only lives by a few I think it's five words and it's sex drugs music and pain there might be a fifth one, but those those are like some of his like keywords and when it comes to tapping into animal. And he says the thing with animal is that, you know, between the pe- people only see animal at the theater. And when the show is over, animal goes and walks along the train tracks and the alleyways. And God, God only knows what he's doing during that time. <laughs> 
and then he comes back to the theater to perform in the band. Um, and and there's such there is a scariness to that. There is truly a kind of like horror, honestly, to that. And and they very much play into that uh, in these first few episodes. So. You know, that's the running gag throughout the backstage life. So then we go into Veterinarian's Hospital, which actually is, um, this is the first time we ever get to see Veterinarian's Hospital. And what's interesting is that in this, so as I'm saying, you know, all these different performers are doing all of these different characters and stuff. And in the first few episodes, Janice is actually not performed by... Richard Hunt, Janice is performed by another performer who only got to do the show for one year. Um, her name was Aaron Oscar or Aaron Oscar. I can't remember the pronunciation, um, but she performs Janice in the first few episodes. And what everybody loves about Janice is that obviously Janice talks like this for sure. Like very crazy, like Valley Girl, California to a T. Um, but Aaron Oscar... <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Oscar's portrayal of her is very like this and very ingenue and you know th there's a certain there's a certain quality in her voice that is just so opposite of what Richard Hunt ends up doing with the character and you know going in this idea again I, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself but but it, it bears repeating like there there was such a leaning into um letting ev like letting them try and fail and not that this interpretation of Janice is even considered failing but they really took their time in developing these characters they really took risk and they tried a lot of different things and you know it, it it's something that should be admired because it you know not a lot of tv shows and I mean, I'm sure, you know, th there's not a lot of time to do this these days, but, you know, the, the, the number of creative risks that they took during the show, especially the first few episodes, is really impressive because they really allowed themselves to find the rhythm and to find the style and to find the essence of what the show would eventually be and what these characters would eventually be. And that's why the characters later on in life work so well is because they didn't just come up with them on the spot. They tried so many different things. They rebuilt the puppets. They tried new performers on each and, and, and until something clicked. Um, you know, when, when eventually they kind of settled on Frank Oz for Piggy, and, and I'm probably ruining it because it's going to come in another episode, but but it's it's I think it's important to share you know, Frank Oz had a really uh, difficult time tapping into Piggy all the time because he was like, well, it, it just seems like she's just angry. Like, she's just an angry, crazy pig the whole time. And um, there was one sequence where she had to hit Kermit, and it was supposed to be that she either – I think she slaps him. I think it was supposed to be like a backhand slap. And for some reason – Frank Oz has no idea why, but for some reason, instead of doing the slap, he lets out a – and absolutely like karate chops Kermit and when they yelled cut everyone in the theater and in the studio was laughing so hard and you know they everybody had tears in their eyes because it was so unexpected and that was the hook that was the hook for Frank Oz he was like I completely he was like I, I figured it out from that point forward um and again all of that to say like this is they had to try and try and try and try again and they even had to let things air that 
really did not work. But the only way they knew if it was going to work is if they did it and they stuck to their guns and and just, you know, really put themselves out there, Um, which I'm sure, you know, every performer wishes they had the gumption to be able to do something like that. (laughs) Um, So we have the introduction of Veterinarian's Hospital. Veterinarian's Hospital is a great sketch that uh, in later seasons when when Don Hinckley, I actually don't know if Don Hinckley um, started out with Veterinarian's Hospital. He might have not come until later. Um, but, but Veterinarian's Hospital is very much a, just a spoof of like medical soap operas. Um, and they're honestly just horrible jokes. The entire sketch is just truly a vehicle for terrible jokes and there's a great relationship between Rolf, Miss Piggy and Janice where they are just you know setting each other up for bad jokes and the bad jokes are always at the expense of the patient the patient never gets better the patient never gets fixed um and there's always a a a great gag and this was also kind of like a good introduction into the role of like the announcer on the show which eventually becomes jerry nelson the man of a million voices and and trust me there will be a time when we discuss the true brilliance and just wonderful human and performer that jerry nelson was but but for this first season again alternating between different performers the announcer role was was back and forth between john lovelady and jerry nelson um, but in this sketch, I, the reason I mentioned Don Hinckley, and I can't find anything on it, but with Don Hinckley, um, Don Hinckley, who, who ended up being one of the writers on the show, it, it kind of became almost his weekend update. Like, that was Don Hinckley's special. Um, he was always the one writing the terrible jokes for Veterinarian's Hospital. That was his, um, that was his specialty. Um, which I think is just a really cool thing. You know, uh, Jim was so good about understanding where people and, and it was obviously a group effort. Um, and I'm not trying to diminish the work that others did on the show, but obviously Jim Henson was kind of the creative force and the creative leader behind it all. And, and Jim was so good about knowing where people belonged and where people were going to shine. And and he he wasn't picky about where it came from and he wasn't uh, precious about it either. So I think that, you know, the fact that, you know, eventually he realized, oh, this writer really and, and Jim Henson contributed to writing. He contributed to jokes and he made bits and things like that. But but to be able to see, oh, this guy has a has a knack for telling these kind of jokes and it makes the show better. Um, I'm going to keep him there. And instead of, you know, which I, I guess I'm preaching now, I guess this is what I'm doing, you know, instead of this idea that I think a lot of artists struggle with, and, and I, including myself, that when it's work that we create and we decide to bring people into the fold, it can become very difficult because we're so precious about our work. We're so attached to it that I know for me that sometimes if I have other people's opinions or even other people's take, I get worried that it's no longer my work and it's no longer um, – I can no longer say I did that. Um, but But the beauty behind how Jim did it was that it was never about Jim. And it was never about him. It was about what was going to make the show great. Um, And it was always about, you know, how am I going to give the best product possible? How am I going to make the best jokes? How are the characters going to come out the best? What is the best version of what I'm doing right now? Um, and, And that's why when I say, like, he wasn't precious about where it came from, it's true. You know, 
people say all the time if if the janitor came by and said you know it'd be funny if you did this 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 and that jim would consider it and jim would listen and be like you know what maybe that is a good idea and he would try it you know jim took inspiration from anywhere that it came um and he was not picky about it and he wasn't egotistical about it and um hearing that don hinckley's you know main thing was basically writing the veterinarian's hospital is so great because he you know he let somebody shine in the way that they needed to shine and it, it's part of the you know working machine that makes the muppet show as great as it is um thank you i will now get off my soapbox which is very worn and and very used um <laughs> after veterinarian's hospital we move into the swedish chef okay what what can I say about the Swedish chef? The Swedish chef is amazing. The Swedish chef is just absolutely incredible. Um, I don't believe we talked about the Swedish chef last time. The Swedish chef is this insane character, this supposedly Swedish person who is the chef of the Muppet Show and has like a cooking segment. Um, he does not speak real English. He speaks faux. Uh, wait, what did I say? He does not speak. He does not speak real Swedish. He speaks faux Swedish. Um, literally that. Um, and the character is obviously a, a terrible cook from what we can see. Usually his sketches aren't, or his, his segments aren't, um, <laughs> aren't real cooking. Um, you know, there's, there's a segment where <laughs> there's one particular one where, he talks about chocolate mousse, but he he quite literally just puts chocolate on a mousse. Like that's that's all he does. He just puts chocolate on a literal mousse. Um, and and that's it. So that's the kind of thing we're looking at with the Swedish Chef. Um, the the great thing about the Swedish Chef is the way that it's performed. Jim Henson and Frank Oz perform the Swedish Chef together. Jim Henson performing the um mouth and performing the voice, and Frank Oz doing the hands. One of the great things about the Swedish chef is that they, um, when they were first rehearsing the character, um, had not created puppet hands for the character just yet. So Frank Oz was using his real hands um, in um, in the sketch just, you know, just for practice. Then they started shooting and they completely forgot that <laughs> they had never created puppet hands. Um, but the bit worked. So the bit of the Swedish chef having real hands was so funny and worked so unbelievably well that it stayed that way throughout the rest of time. Um, so now the performers of the Swedish Chef are um, Bill Beretta, who, who who has taken over uh, a, a good number of Jim's characters, including Doctor Teeth and Rolf. Um, Bill Beretta performs the Swedish Chef, and um, Peter Linz now performs the Hands. Excellent. Um, so um oh but in this sketch um the swedish chef <laughs> he's preparing flapjacks or like you know pancakes and uh i think they're crepes though um because they're very thin but you know he goes to flip the flapjacks and they all stick to the ceiling um so the only way that he can get them down is by shooting them and well you know obviously hilarity and susan things go wrong um Next, we have At The Dance. Same thing as usual. Uh, there's nothing really new here. Um, so, yeah, there's At The Dance. And then, okay, so the next spot is the UK spot. And the UK spot, I don't know if I explained this the last time, but the UK spot um, 
in London, um, they have much uh, their their commercial bricks are much shorter than the ones in America, and so often there was about a four minute chunk of time that they had to account for. So they probably had time for another sketch, another song, or something like that, and they were typically songs. And so, um, if you hear people refer to the UK spot, it was because in place of a lot of the commercials that would usually show in America, they would have like another number in um, in the in in the UK. And for this number, um, for this UK spot, it is a song called I'd Like to Go Tomorrow, which is performed by the Hillbilly Trio. And the really great thing about the Hillbilly Trio, if you don't know, is that those puppets are actually Muppet likenesses, which we touched on briefly with Juliet Prowse. But, you know, the Juliet Prowse is a little bit more <clears throat> horrifying. Um, but <laughs> these Muppet likenesses are uh, Frank Oz, who is the orange haired one, Jerry Nelson, who has the hat. And Jim Henson, who has kind of the long face. Um, and, and also, I'd like to go tomorrow. It's just it's, it's one of my favorite songs. And I think it's a really, really um, it's just a, it's a really fun song. And there's a lot of fun wordplay. Um, it's I'd like to go to Morrow as if Morrow is a place. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's about a person who continually is get, getting the train schedules mixed up because he can't differentiate between Morrow being a place and the word tomorrow. Um and it, again, just a very, very Muppety kind of, you know, good song. Um, lots of fun. Lots of fun happening there. Um, so, yeah. So, that's the UK spot of the Hillbilly Trio. Oh, um, and actually just learned this about the Hillbilly Trio. I think I think I read this in an article Frank Oz was giving a couple years ago. But the Hillbilly Trio was actually created for the Perry Como special first, um, where they performed a certain number. But those Muppet likenesses were, were, were created on you know, obviously they were created on purpose, but they were purposely created for the the Perry Como special, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'll put a link to it in the I'll put a link to it in the show notes so that you all can see, um, so that you all can see it um, because it, it it really and I, and I'll put a link to I'll go tomorrow because that's a great song too. Um, the next segment is. Uh, <laughs> Marvin Suggs and his Muppaphones. Okay, the, y- y'all remember when I would say, like, I would talk about the weird stuff? Yeah, this is weird. This is very weird. Um, Marvin Suggs is a performance artist who, or mm, I don't know what to call him. He's a performance artist that Kermit discovered uh, waiting at a bus station in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> Marvin Suggs is a very violent man from some country that I do not know, and he has uh, these Muppaphones, which are these balls, these like little furry balls that are orange and pink. And the way he and they are alive; these these things are alive. That that should be noted. Um, the way he performs them is that he smashes them with a hammer, and based on the frequency of the pitch when they say "ow," is how music is formed truly absurd truly bonkers but also absolutely hilarious frank oz performs marvin um it's it's really funny it is really 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 funny um they perform lady of spain um and we will see and and that's it it he just violently assaults these little muppaphones and they say ow on pitch to sing lady of spain um and that's about it. <laughs> um, next is another another uh, sketch segment that um, only happens in the first season, which was called panel discussions, um, which were, you know, it was like a roundtable of talks with certain characters throughout the show. It was usually Piggy, 
Kermit. Uh, I can't remember if Sam the Eagle's in this one, but sometimes Sam the Eagle was in it, and then like some some whatnot Muppets, which ding 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 ding. That actually that ding ding was was spontaneous. That was not planned. Whatnot Muppets. That's a great time to explain what whatnot Muppets are. And so whatnot Muppets um are essentially you know puppets that are in the back. Uh, I mean. Mm, it's kind of hard to explain because whatnot's not the same thing as like a uh, an AM or an anything Muppet from Sesame Street. But a whatnot is essentially kind of a, a base Muppet that you could change out its features like its eyes or its nose or its, you know, hair and things like that. And you could create all these kind of different characters and stuff. Um, different from like a frackle, the frackles are like legitimate characters. Um, and you can have them interchange by putting them in different costumes and stuff. But the whatnots are kind of like a base puppet and you can change all of the features on them to make them different characters. Um, the reason that I'm, I'm having a hard time differentiating between this and the anything Muppets on Sesame Street is that I, I believe, and you know, Muppet fans will come for me. It's I'm, I'm expecting it at this point if I'm wrong. Um, anything Muppets on Sesame Street are a little bit easier to decipher what they are because in terms of the features that you are replacing they are not as grandiose as perhaps the muppets like with the muppets you know you could replace hair you can replace uh you know i mean you can do all that stuff with the anything muppets do i don't know i think with the muppets they're 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 a little bit more complex and you know what i also think it is with the whatnots for the muppets you know there is a kind of like a a goldish puppet who is a live hand that has a lot of hair all over that's kind of resemble an old man and i i'm sure they've taken the hair off of that puppet um and put put a hat on him and make him something different but this specific puppet that's older with all this hair i've seen in other sketches before i believe and so i think there is a little bit more consistency with the types of whatnots that they make to put in certain sketches as opposed to the anything muppets which i think the features are a little bit um not as complex so it's kind of easier to say oh well that's different and that's different um i could be overanalyzing which honestly this whole podcast just might be me overanalyzing the muppets which in any case welcome um so we have the panel discussion and and the discussion is is conversation a dying art and the the gag of the whole thing is that um it features rita moreno and miss piggy which in this scene is actually performed by frank oz again you know not not really consistent i guess you can't really i can't say episode by episode who is the main performer of figgy i think it just depended on the sketch um but for this sketch um rita moreno um whose character is tiffany gonzalez um gets into a huge argument with miss piggy and they just fight the entire time um one of the highlights being how would you like a high heel in your ham hock so then uh after the panel discussion is over we then go into the talk spot, which is, you know, the, the, the place where, where the Kermit gets to talk to the guest star. And in this one, we see Sweetums, which I do believe is the first performance of Sweetums with Richard Hunt. Um, Sweetums was originally in The Frog Prince. That is the first time he ever appeared. Um, he is Tamanella's ogre. Um, the Frog Prince was in 1971. Um, and... In that performance, um, he's not performed by Richard Hunt. He's performed by Jerry Nelson. Um, and then in The Muppet Show, uh, Richard Hunt takes over as the performer. Um, Jerry Nelson 
A, wasn't a fan of full-bodied Muppets, kind of like Frank Oz. They both were not big fans of performing full-bodied Muppets. But also, um, Jerry Nelson ended up developing some really uh, bad back problems, which was it made it hard for him to perform full-body characters, specifically um, Snuffleupagus in the 80s, which is how Marty Robinson um, ended up being hired. Marty Robinson, who ends up playing Telly, um, and Snuffleupagus now, but but that was the reason that Marty was hired back in the 80s to help replace um, Jerry Nelson as Snuffleupagus specifically. Anyway, um, this is the, 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 I think, the first performance um, of Sweetums with Richard Hunt, um, which, you know, Jerry Nelson did a great job with it in Frog Prince, but Richard's, I, I guess because I'm I'm used to Richard's, but Richard's just feels so full and so connected to Sweetums, and it's uh, it's really great. I hope to get somebody, you know, I hope uh, I have some really fun, fun people coming to interview, people who have either been on Broadway or people who've worked with the Muppets, Um, and, and I'm excited to finally know the answer, which I've wanted to know for years, like how is Sweetums performed, Um, because it's truly fascinating to me. I know one of his hands is stuffed, um, but specifically the mechanics of the mouth. I'm so curious because it's such a big mouth. How is that controlled? I'm imagining there's some kind of rod or pole inside um, that helps uh, control that mouth. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. So we move out of the talk spot and we go into another recurring sketch um, that uh the the history not the history but but the continuity of it is a little complicated it happens a lot in season one and then it's kind of a gag in later seasons but it's not as consistent at all as a matter of fact i can't remember what episode it is but it comes up in season four (laughs) i'll explain that in a minute so we're about to get into this recurring sketch called wayne and wanda wayne and wanda are these two singers for the muppet show that are absolutely uh terrible and and that's actually not true they sound very good but they just are very like this i guess um i guess i should be wayne now but you know they're they're very like classic they're they sing these very uh uh i mean they sing all kinds of stuff they sing all kinds of classic music mostly like i want to say like legit classical but sometimes musical theater whatever i'm getting way too much into this they sing uh, some great songs, but the gag is that it's always stopped because they get horribly injured by some outer force, whether that is uh, the stage, you know, implodes from the inside, the curtains come down on them, or usually it's in direct reference to something they're singing about. Um, yes. So I do believe that this is our introduction to Sam the Eagle. A great description by Frank Oz. He calls Sam the Eagle a Republican who has a bad relationship with his daughter. And and Sam the Eagle's function on the show is really upholding uh, the decorum and respectability in the show. And, um, you know, it's very often he calls them up as weirdos. And he often either asks the guest stars what is wrong with them for coming on the show or he apologizes to them. Um, but Wayne and Wanda is a really, really... Uh, 
good running gag as well. Um, but like I said, they're, they're used predominantly in the first season, I think a bit in the second season as well. And they have moments in the later seasons, but, but the thing is, um, they've made more comebacks in like the recent movies. And when they did the O2 and the Hollywood bowl shows, they had, um, they had comebacks, uh, they had their own skits again. Um, which, which is fun. It's really fun. That one, I, I almost said that in the beginning, but I know that it was just in the live show and not in the actual Muppet show. But there was one song they sing in the O2 where Wayne and Wanda are, are eaten by a shark. Um, and I can't remember what song they sing. But anyway. So after Wayne and Wanda, we go to kind of the final bit of um, the telephone gag that I explained earlier. Um, Fozzie kind of comes back from performing his comedy act um and this is when animal comes in and rips it off something that is incorporated with fozzy that ends up getting cut or something that like isn't used as often anymore is actually uh, a, a really good mech and for those who might not know mech is puppeteer talk for mechanism uh there are different kinds of mechs that it can happen in a puppet such as i eyelids closing and opening like an animal or in gonzo or in scred from land of gorch um but there's also other mechs um one mech that is really that was really popular with fozzy in his first couple of builds um was that his ears could wiggle um and it was often used kind of as a punchline sometimes um but i remember reading somewhere or hearing somewhere that frank kind of stopped using it after a while because he did feel like it became a crutch for him um but 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 that is something just really funny about Fozzie and kind of his earlier stuff. Um, so then we move out of that and we go into the final number of the show, which is the iconic fever. Now, something I didn't explain earlier is that um, Rita Moreno won an Emmy for her performance on The Muppet Show. And because she won the Emmy, she was one of the only few to covet the, you know, very prestigious EGOT, which is when an artist um, attains all four of the performance or all four of the artistic awards, which is the Tony, the Oscar, the Emmy, and the Grammy. Um, and the reason I think, I can almost guarantee the reason that she won her Emmy is because of her performance of Fever. As I was saying earlier today, uh, as I was saying earlier, her energy and her you know her her kind of go-to character along with animal just complement each other so well and it's so funny and something that becomes incredibly apparent with this specific performance is that rita really knew how to play off of the muppets and all of the guest stars are great but there are obviously some guest stars who really worked on the muppet show and others who may you know it may have not clicked as brilliantly um rita moreno was one of those people that it clicked with the muppets immediately so much that she ended up hosting the muppets go to the movies um or the muppets go to hollywood i think it's the muppets go to hollywood um and it's it's clear in this number why i mean they are just so funny her and animal um i mean she's trying to sing fever and animal is just you know drumming incredibly loud to make her angry and then at the end she smashes him with some symbols and animals like hmm that's my kind of woman again sex pain drugs food i can't remember that fifth word i have to go find that fifth word um maybe it is just four i know it's five though 
anyway um yeah so it's just it's it's really wonderful and um it's one of the most it's again one of the most iconic numbers ever done it's referenced pretty frequently um yeah and that takes us to the end of the Muppet Show, where uh, Rita go ahead, grabs that giant humanoid by uh, John Lovelady. She gets that, uh, she gets the the stuffed one and throws it across the stage, um, and they kind of exit out. Um, so yeah, so so that was that episode of the Muppet Show uh, with Rita Moreno. Next week is going to be Sandy Duncan, which is another great episode. Sandy Duncan of the Hogan family fame, and also early 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 on when she was the mother in those barney specials when barney first was coming out if you don't know about that you have to look it up it's pretty astounding um and like i said earlier i know that i said that connie stevens was next in the last episode but unfortunately that was because i recorded that before i knew what the order of the muppet show was going to be that was my b um so we're not actually going to get to connie stevens for a minute um, because our next episode is Sandy Duncan. Um, um, oh, another thing I wanted to correct. At the Dance actually doesn't just get killed off after season two. We actually see At the Dance quite a few times after the second season. But the thing is, you know, after the second and third season, Jerry Jewell, who is the head writer of The Muppets, um, made kind of an executive decision to really pull back on those sketches so i was read about that it just wasn't as um they are there are quite a number in the third fourth and fifth season um but but they purposely made sure not to do as many just because they just thought it was kind of a cheap function for just one-liners um and it and they didn't think it really served anything so yeah, uh, make sure you head over to Muppet Wiki, Muppet Central, and the Muppet Mindset if you want to get some more Muppet on. And if you want to listen to some more podcasts, make sure you hit up Puppeteers by Cam Garrity and Adam Krutinger, Under the Puppet by Grant Pachoco, Below the Frame by Matt Vogel. And of course, if you want to do some nice old pop culture things, make sure that you are listening to the DJ Bob Show and you are listening to Defunct Land and watching Defunct Land on YouTube. This has been It's Time to Meet the Muppets. I will see you the show next week. Bye-bye. Let's get this show out on the road. the show on the road. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.